20,000, the number of jobs that could potentially be created by a proposed rezoning of Industry City, a large industrial complex on the Brooklyn waterfront. The developer of the property was seeking approval for a rezoning that would allow expansion of the facility for greater diversity of use beyond manufacturing. Conversations with community groups and negotiations with local government representatives about parameters of the rezoning have been going on for years, and the City Council held a hearing on the project last week, an important milestone before a full Council vote that was to be scheduled this fall. But this week, the developer pulled the plug on the application. What went wrong? What does it mean for the future of Industry City, of Brooklyn, of the city? Stay tuned for a tale of two rezonings with Industry City CEO Andrew Kimball and City Council member Carlos Menchaca. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulas from the CBC. And we're happy to be joined today by Industry City CEO Andrew Kimball, who is going to discuss where the project stands and what next with us this morning. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Ben and Maria. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, so, so you know, folks um, will have a little bit of a sense of what's transpired over the last uh, a few days and maybe longer, but, um, you know, just give us your overview of where things stand right now and what, what happened here. Yeah, look, this is, this is really about a project that's been enormously successful uh, over the last seven years. E- even since COVID hit, we've leased over 300,000 square feet of space. I think you'd be hard pressed to find uh, a project anywhere in New York City that's, that's leasing at that rate. Um, you know, we hear about buildings in Manhattan with only 10% of the population having come back. You know, we're probably at about 40% now. People are enjoying our courtyards. There are all kinds of events uh, happening, of course, socially distanced. The, the plan that we put forward you know, five years ago was how do we take something that's really good and make it even better um, that helps us to you know, tackle um, you know, what, when we started, was a massively decrepit campus with infrastructure that hadn't been touched in 50, 60 years. Uh, with only 150 businesses and 1,900 jobs, and, and, and how do we improve it, invest in it? And, you know, we're now at 550 jobs and 8,000 people working here. That's almost 100 new jobs a month for, for seven years. That's pretty astonishing. But how can we create the ecosystem that helps us to invest in an even faster clip? Because we do have buildings left to renovate, and we want to add new buildings. And how do we do it in a way that connects even better with the community. We've been incredibly engaged with the community for seven years doing stuff that no developer anywhere has done in terms of workforce development. How do we add to that by adding a vocational high school? How do we add to that by adding colleges and universities that really create the pathways to the jobs of today uh, and the future? Um, Look, unfortunately, this is a very, very difficult moment um, for many to uh, except that the private sector um, has a role to play in, in New York City's recovery and in job creation. And, and that's, that's challenging. Um, you know, it was clear that um, leadership just was not willing to engage in a conversation about how to improve the plan even further in ways that we put on the table. 
So well, look, that's where we are. We've, we've withdrawn the application. Um, there clearly wasn't an appetite for this kind of project at this moment, um, but we're going to continue to invest and, and make this as successful a project as we can. And I think you'll see a lot of good news coming out about that in the near future. So yeah, there's a couple of things we should, you know, push a little deeper into um, from what you said, but can you give people a sense of what can now happen at the, at the site absent the, the approval of this application versus yeah. what the vision would have been under this application? So look, here, here's the irony. We, we, we deal with um, zoning that was in the city. We deal with zoning that was established in the 1950s and 1960s for, for a different era. And the irony here is that under the heavy manufacturing zoning that we have, you know, where you could do tanneries or chemical plants or other noxious uses, you can also do unlimited office. Um, you can do unlimited last mile and warehouse distribution. Um, what we couldn't do that we really wanted to do under this plan was add classroom space. So you can have a very narrow vocational um, school engagement and we do that now with City Tech and RPI and um, St. Francis and, and, and others. But if any one of them wanted to bring classroom space here, bring a community college here where those uh, students would be embedded in this incredibly dynamic innovation ecosystem where right down the hallway you've got companies you can intern at, um, where those young people get inspired to start their own business. Um, you know, that was one of the big wins uh, out, of, out of this uh, rezone. So, you know, we're going to have to put that plan on pause. Um, but, you know, we're going to continue to do everything we can to create the eclectic mix of tenants. So if for anybody who's really bothered to come and walk through the campus, I'm always happy to give a tour, but come on your own and see what's happening at the ground floor. I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of makers. Um, you know, and here's the other thing that's, that's ironic about some of the lines of attack against the project. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of folks who, who uh, pontificate about preserving manufacturing. Um, I've actually done that for 15 years at the Navy Yard in here, um, creating more manufacturing jobs in those two locations than anywhere else in New York City. Um, but unfortunately, there wasn't an interest in what we were putting on the table, which is, okay, as part of this, we understand there has to be gives on our part, we'll agree to, to preserve manufacturing at, at a historic number for, for a private site. Um, uh, but look, we're, we're going to continue to lease to, to manufacturers, to makers, to tech, to design, to fashion. We're going to continue to have dynamic retail, smaller, but what we can do under the current zoning. And the project's going to be a success. Um, it's disappointing. I, you know, obviously, I've poured a lot into this personally the last seven years, so it's, it's very disappointing. And I, and I worry, honestly, about you know, this project can't get done at this time in New York City, what project will get done? And, and I, I think all New Yorkers should be very concerned about that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's something we're going to ask uh, City Council Member Carlos Menchaca about um, when we talk with him about this. But, you know, when you said um, that leadership didn't really engage in a conversation, you were saying about any further negotiation that could happen, because you've been talking at least with Councilmember Menchaca for a number of years, you made uh, adjustments already based on things that he wanted. Can you just give give at least what you consider the sort of highlights of what you had adjusted in the plan to meet sure. his demands and any others that you thought you met? 
you know, and I'm, I'm sure the council member will talk about this, you know, that there's this narrative that uh, the land use process is broken in the city. And I know CBC has raised some important points around that, and I'm sure we'll be doing more. Um, but it is the process that we have to adjust the zoning. And so we, we knew that going in. Um, and because part of the narrative of, of zonings is that, you know, everything gets done at the 11th hour in a back room and there's no light on it. Um, when the council member, to his credit, said last September, here are the 10 things that I need you to do to secure my support. Within 48 hours, we responded and said, we can do every single one of those things. So what were some of those? We want an irreducible minimum of manufacturing space in the complex. We can do that. And we've laid out constructs in which that would work. And what we did with that and with other commitments is we tied it to the use of what we'd be getting in the zone. So what are we getting out of the zoning? We're getting the ability to do some more retail that we can't do today. We're getting the ability to do academic and we're getting the ability to build more because at some point, we're gonna have the opportunity to do ground up here. We would. Um, so we linked those things together. As we did retail, as we did new buildable that we can't do today, we would set aside, um, we would set aside manufacturing space. Um, they wanted to have a not-for-profit embedded within our campus um, that would lease space from us at a discounted rate and then in turn lease space to manufacturers who needed some level of extra protection. We agreed to that. Um, we agreed to do a vocational high school. You know, one of the things I worked on at the Navy Yard was all these academic links. And, you know, after I'd left, the, the new administration that was finally able to get this vocational high school done, it would blow your socks off when you walk in there. It's exactly what we would all want as New Yorkers about the future and pathways for folks who need it the most. We agreed to do that here. More recently, um, part of the narrative has been, well, um, you've created all these jobs, um, but how do we know we'll do it in the future? And how do you know, how do we know that those will go to the local community? So we said, okay, we'll do something that no developer has ever done, uh, particularly no developer that's receiving no public expenditure, right? And I just want to emphasize that point. What we did at the Navy Yard was extraordinary, but I also had just in the time I was there, $250 million of all of our tax dollars to leverage private investment off of. That's now a billion dollars at the Navy Yard. Same thing at the Brooklyn Army Terminal, city-owned sites. Awesome, love it. We're private, right? If we're really going to embrace this innovation economy, right, the broad range of making a physical, a digital, and engineering product, and make those jobs accessible to young people who want to get into those fields, right, the private sector's got to get in the game. And that's what we were doing here with no, with no public expenditures. But we said, look, okay, so we want these things. We can't fully make use of these things until we demonstrate through a third party audit of the jobs here that an agreed upon uh, percentage of those jobs are going to the surrounding zip codes. That's pretty extraordinary. So basically we can't even take advantage of the things we're asking for fully unless we demonstrate that we're delivering on the local job. So that, that's just another example. Um, you know, there was also concern about um, would there be resources, financial resources in the community to help with things like rental protection. Obviously, everybody's getting hit hard right now in terms of um, 
revenue, but we, we also created a construct in which as we take down the new retail, take down the new FAR, the new buildable, there's a kick in to a established not-for-profit to be able to do those kinds of things in the community. I hope that's helpful. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you attribute? Um, you met those, you met those demands, you mm -hmm. met some other things that people put out there, like the Brooklyn borough president who did express support for this moving forward. Um, one of the yeah. few in the end of Brooklyn elected officials who did, um, although there were others, um, just say a little more about what you attribute this falling apart, uh, to. Yeah, look, we were, we were really pleased that members across New York stepped up um, from the city council. You know, Richard Torres, Donovan Richards, Robert Cornegie, never, never happened before in a result like this. And, and, you know, we knew six, eight weeks ago that the headwinds were, were steep. The council member had already come out against it. Um, I, I can't uh, explain to you why he made that decision, um, but he made that decision. Um, the reason we stayed in and were, were fortified was that those members were coming out that the borough president had supported. Um, I'd say there, there, there are three major reasons that, that we pulled out. First, obviously, really challenging, that letter from members of Congress. Um, you know, no wiggle room, no interest in a conversation. Just tear it down. Uh, that's tough. That's really tough. Um, from a lot of folks, by the way, who haven't even visited Industry City. Um, you know, but I will say this, and I'm obviously no political expert, but um, land use is controlled by the New York City Council. So at a certain point, leadership is about leadership. And, you know, for the speaker to say yesterday he wasn't that familiar with the details of the project, I mean, that's stunning. And that's, that's what I was running up against in, in my conversations, not a willingness to sit um, and say, let's figure this out. Because this project is really important for the community, but this project is really also really important for the city of New York. You know, and the, and the council and the speaker had laid out criteria when, when Amazon went down and, you know, we could argue to a blue in the face whether that was a good project or a bad project. I obviously think it looks pretty good right now. Um, but, you know, there wasn't a track record in New York City. Okay, we have a seven-year track record of creating jobs. And there wasn't um, a willingness to go through the local land use review process, right? Because it's so challenging. Um, and, and we did that. So, you know, it was, it was really um, concerning that there wasn't that willingness to engage on the substance of the project, right? It was only about the political narrative, the next primary, the next election, not about the substance of this project at this moment of crisis for the city of New York. And thirdly, honestly, you know, and, and we are being successful. We're in really important lease conversations with scores of folks right now who wanna be part of this community and sort of the ongoing political food fight that lacked substance, you know, was just, it was not worth it at the end of the day. Um, I'll give you an example of something that just, you know, leaves my head scratching, you know, scratching what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, part of the critique, the narrative was, well, they don't need this rezoning because they're being successful. They've created 8,000 jobs. It's like, wait a second, let me follow that train of thought. Um, so here you have a project that's had more success than 
almost any other project in the city of New York in the last seven years. So let's slow it down. At this moment in which one in five New Yorkers don't have a job and we have gaping budget deficits with a project that was gonna generate $100 million a year in, in tax revenue for the city. That's a lot of teachers, firefighters, cops. That's a lot of meals to the homeless. You know, I, I don't get that narrative. I would say, I would hope our elected officials would say, wow, these guys really have something going here. Let's work with them. Let's figure out how to engage and let's, let's grow it. Yeah, I'll make a couple comments before we ask the last question. Um, you know, this podcast is called What's the Data Point? We at the CBC have been monitoring both the fiscal and economic situation very closely. The unemployment numbers every week are just utter carnage and have been devastating to the city. And to see a project of this magnitude, which is asking for no public investment, no tax breaks, which came under fire during the Amazon um, project, you know, nothing like that. Um, to be sort of dismissed and to have the job so easily kind of uh, the potential job creation put to the side um, at a time like this when we do not see a jobs plan or any kind of economic agenda from the mayor is very disheartening. And I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, CBC is starting to ask the questions about how we think about development in the city and the growth, realizing that there are real challenges, you know, and I think a lot of people don't understand that you know, in a project, in a case such as this, right, the community engagement starts well before the kind of ULIP clock and the process officially kicks in, right? And that that process, the process is very long because of the, the length of the community engagement that needs to happen as a practical matter before DCP and the council and anyone even gets the application formally. So, you know, we are going to start at this, as the CBC are start to think about this, um, in a really focused way and you know what advice do you have to others seeking to initiate a land us action or you know what recommendations do you have for how this process can be improved in the future at this point it is unlikely that we will see anything like this proposed for the remainder of the mayor's term so looking forward to the next administration you know what are the improvements that can be made Look, it's really hard to answer that question <laughs> at this moment. I need to step back a little, decompress. Um, we're very attuned, as I said before, about the critiques that have been brought up about ULERP, and I, I feel like we did double, triple backflips to try to address that on the front end. You know, there were more town halls, more engagement on this project than I think most projects anywhere. Um, you know, and I'll say also, and this gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, um, you know, I was told a few things when I got here. And one of the reasons we were successful at the Navy Yard is we spent a lot of time listening in the beginning. We did the same thing here. Um, and the general feedback was, you better deliver on local jobs. We've done that in spades. We opened up a workforce development center. First time the private sector's ever done that. Second thing was, study the community board's 197A plan. That's the roadmap for their idea of what redevelopment should be. And if you align that, 197A plan with our plan it is extraordinarily aligned. And so to have done those things, to have adjusted the project, you know, originally we had dormitories to go with the colleges and universities. We pulled that out. People didn't like it. Then they said, well, we don't want hotels there. We said, okay, we'll take that out when we get to the council, which would have been right now. They said, you know, we want to preserve manufacturing. We said, we'll do that. We want to make sure we have guarantees on the jobs or there's real penalties. Said so we do that through a legally binding contract. 
I, I just, I'm, I'm at a loss. You know, at some point, citywide leaders need to stand up and say, you know what, we got to do better. And we got to have the courage to say there's just some projects we have to move forward on because they're in the benefit of the whole city. All right. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there, Andrew Kimball, but we appreciate the time. And obviously, um, the, the larger discussion will continue and we'll be interested in your further thoughts. And also, it sounds like the, um, you know, the industry city conversation and vision is continuing uh, separately from, from this rezoning process. So we will be looking for the, the news on that that you previewed here, here with us. So. All right. Well, we hope you get some rest sometime soon. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Really All right. Take care. All right. Thank you, Andrew. All right. And we're happy to be joined by City Council Member Carlos Menchaca. Council Member, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ben and Maria. Looking forward to talking about uh, Sunset Park. Uh, so give us your your overview of the history of, of this project. I mean, this has basically been the entirety of your nearly two terms in the city council that this has been um, an ongoing negotiation, even though it just more recently entered the formal land use review process. But, um, you know, can you can you give I know it's hard, but can you give sort of a brief history? Absolutely. The the, the project of industry city and the rezoning started even before I officially took office in 2014. Um, this project had been really presented uh, at the beginning of my first term as a jobs uh, uh, maker, a, a bringer of economic development and a massive plan at that. Uh, this was a fully cooked plan when it came to us. And so we were very much, and, and I'm talking about the community, um, were really skeptical about it from the beginning. It had a lot of fatal flaws. Um, but what we also knew was that this was going to go through ULERP. And ULERP was the opportunity that we wanted to take to really understand all different sides and really kind of dig deep into what this project was and how it was going to impact the, the community. Um, this community is, is a vibrant, intelligent community that has been planning the working waterfront for a long time. Uh, you have organizations like Uprose and the community board and some of the workforce development organizations that have been thinking about the working waterfront. And so it was really easy in the beginning to really pull people together and understand the needs and wants of our community. This is also a community that has been rent burdened for a long time and the vulnerability of our residents, immigrant working families um, was also a big key in understanding this impact of the of the rezoning. So that 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 kind of got us to where we had some starts and stops. Uh, Industry City wanted to start in March of 2013, uh, 2019. And we said no. I said absolutely not. And and I used a, a, a I don't think ever been used before veto power to say, hey Industry City, if you're gonna start now, it's gonna be dead upon arrival. And they got that message. And so they respected community and we went through more community board town halls to really understand housing impacts, health impacts um, and transportation impacts. So that got us through um, the summer of 2019, which allowed me to create a framework. Um, you mentioned negotiations for a long time. We never actually got to negotiations. This was about creating a framework to understand 
the, the possibility for a good, a good application, an application that could be uh, done our way, Sunset Park's way. And that framework really had three different pieces. One of them was changes to the actual application. We as a council have the power to change the application uh, in, in communication with the, um, with the developer. Um, but not just that, we wanted massive amounts of resources from the city, uh, from all the city agencies, uh, from education facilities to protections for our rent burden community. Um, and workforce development programs. So the city had a huge role to play. And then the final one, of course, was the community itself. How could they keep this developer accountable? Um, and we really thought about a community benefits agreement as a way through to legally bind this developer. Uh, they were open to that, but the community struggled. They didn't have the technical assistance or legal representation to be able to mount a pressure point, an effective pressure point against the developer, a multi-billion dollar corporation. Um, and so all of that fell through, uh, which led to my decision uh, of no. So there's a lot to unpack there and I do want to kind of go through it, but you mentioned that the application or the project was fully cooked when it came to you, but it had these fatal flaws. So what did you perceive as these fatal flaws? Like what was so bad about this? Because you know, I'll tell you, as someone who thinks about planning for the city, right, and city citywide, this is an application that brings jobs to the city that requires no public investment, which is actually in sharp contrast to a project like Amazon, right, which was going to have layers of state and city tax breaks to create these jobs and, and this little ecosystem. Here's an application that requires no public investment. What's the fatal flaw from your perspective? There were many, uh, Maria, and I think that the, the kind of concept that you're and, and the way that you're looking at this is how the developer wanted you to look at this. They spent a lot of time and money really uh, bringing that perspective. But the real perspective after so much review, so much understanding, talking to community members, businesses, everyone was the following. One is that there are currently 14,000 jobs, industrial manufacturing jobs right now that are at risk because of this luxury mall plan. And so the jobs that you're talking about are actually in conflict to the working waterfront. Um, and that, that presented a lot of vulnerability for people working on the waterfront from Sunset Park. So this was not just about a new- Wait, where, So where, I'm from Queens, <laughs> right? Explain to me where those jobs are in you know, relation to industry city. Absolutely, thank you for that question because I think this is, this is, this, this is gonna get to the kind of core of this of this conversation, the working waterfront where industry city sits is part of a larger grid of um, companies and properties, private and city. The city owns a majority of the working waterfront from the Brooklyn Army Terminal that you may have heard of, uh, Bush Terminal. Uh, they just released an RFP for uh, uh, sound and theater stages. Um, and then you have this small, uh, South Brooklyn Marine Terminal uh, that we had a big moment with the mayor back in 2015 um, that's going to activate maritime uses and offshore wind uh, is, is, you know, slated to come in and generate jobs. Uh, you have, you have Sims, the recycling plant. This is all industrial. The, the vision of manufacturing M3 zoning is for those, are, are for those jobs. Um, that's what we're talking about. 
that is at what, what is at risk. Industry City, in their initial plan, wanted to activate the ground floors for retail. So imagine walking out of a Soho um, uh, style store and walking out into the street with uh, a 53 foot trailer truck carrying waste to Sims. Uh, there were the, the, these uses were not compatible. And we saw that fatal flaw. Now we try to think about how we could alleviate and mitigate some of that, but this was, these were two things that were not going to ever fit. And because they're as of right, they started to do it. And so this concept of 20,000 jobs was the second fatal flaw. They claimed 20,000 jobs. And when we actually grilled them on this, they said, well, actually it's 8,000 that we've already created. Great. 7,000 new jobs that would come as a result of the rezoning. And then another 8,000 or so that will be kind of um, created as a generator of other things outside of the neighborhood um, that would have an impact. And so you, you quickly saw that, that this was not, not 20,000 jobs. And we pointed out this was not Amazon. Amazon has the ability to create jobs because they're the job creator. They're not a job creator. They're, they're a landlord. And, and so I think people understood the power of, of that argument fall. Uh, and community is intelligent in Sunset Park and they saw through that. The last thing I want to say on the, on the kind of fatal flaws is the fact that the mayor did not come in. And when you say this did not have public investment, Sunset Park is telling us that we need more city investment to be able to um, take advantage of whatever economic development is on its way. Um, and this was a failed moment for this mayor and just also not understanding the power of a manufacturing uh, uh, business zone like, like Sunset Park. We saw right after COVID, companies in Industry City and beyond on the working waterfront switch their companies to become PPE um, makers of masks and face guards and gowns. And that's why we need to protect this, this working waterfront from retail hotels and the things that they wanted to come in with. So I, just to clarify, when I said no public investment, I mean I meant they weren't asking for tax breaks, right? They weren't asking for any abatements or relief or anything like that. Um, I, I generally agree that when you have some sort of large-scale development action, it is incumbent upon the city to think about whether the uh, surrounding infrastructure is up to snuff and what you know that development could you know what investments are necessary to support that investment in other industry. Um, but should the private developer be penalized for the mayor's lack of involvement or vision or investment in Sunset Park? Well, they're sure as hell not going to get um, uh, a free pass. Uh, this isn't about, you know, well, well, you know, everybody else is failing in leadership. So why not just give us what we want? And that's what um, Industry City's message was to the city council. The city, the city council was given the message that said, just trust us. You know, we know what we need to do. We've been doing this forever. Um, and that's just not a way that you want to deal with public actions like this. They have an as of right ability. They have a manufacturing zoning. Go for it. Go to town. They've been doing that. And so, awesome. Move forward. Let the city figure itself out. And I think that's where we want to pivot now. And the community is ready. They're in the driver's seat. They always have been. Um, the community now had elected officials like myself and Nidia Velasquez and others, others that just beat you know, an incumbent and, uh, and, and really ushered in a, a kind of new wave of, of progressive uh, wind 
that are saying we're going to stick, we're going to be with community, we're going to drive this with community. Let's come back in a sec to what next, because um, I mean it's tempting to keep going there with that thought, but just let's just keep keep going a little bit on the process before it sort of this this um, proposal was taken off as at your request and and others. Um, the you, you and Andrew Kimball actually seem to kind of agree on one thing, which is that the mayor and and you didn't name the city council speaker, but you know that that sort of some of the the higher levels of of city government didn't come in with efforts to help to figure out investment, to figure out common ground, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of an interesting thing. Do you know why the de Blasio administration didn't get involved here? I mean, the mayor said publicly, you know, this is a private application and we want the city council to handle it. But it sounds like, you know, from your from your request, there was there was a request from the city council for the administration to get involved. I never got to speak to the mayor. Uh, we never got that opportunity to discuss this uh, in any ways. But he sent his agencies to talk to us and his agencies were not interested from the very beginning, uh, really to to Maria's point which was, this is a private application. The city has no, no role in this. And I think that's about leadership and foresight in what we're all in Sunset Park trying, trying to do, which is to protect the working waterfront. This is, nothing, this, was, this is something that has never been part of de Blasio or Bloomberg's administration. Uh, they have always struggled to understand it. Um, I know Alicia Glenn had something to say recently about Industry City pulling their application. And I remember meeting with her early in 20. I don't know, 16. And she looked at the working waterfront and said, I'll never forget it. She said, where are my towers of housing? Where? Just tell me where. And then I said, absolutely not. That's a, that's dead upon arrival. She walked out of the meeting. She's like, okay, I can't even talk to you. That is the face of this administration and will always be until we get a new administration in. And for us, that has been clear, but we made the asks. We made the asks that were outlined um, and connected to the needs of the community. A certificate of no harassment is an example of what could have happened, what needs to happen today even. And so we're gonna keep asking for those things. And so lack of leadership, lack of understanding of what the working waterfront is. Um, and, and I think for the city council, you saw people come out and support Industry City. And I think this is, that was not only a mistake, but I think um, these are council members that have no sense about what Sunset Park is all about. Uh, and I look so, forward to talking to them. So Andrew, Andrew Kimball said that, you know, you, it was interesting to say, for you to say just now a few minutes ago that, you know, you never really got into negotiations. And I guess you sort of mean the sort of in the Euler process, it's now at the city council, but there were, there have been some negotiations and Andrew Kimball said, and you can obviously tell, give your perspective on this, but he said, you know, that you had outlined about 10 things and they basically met all 10 of those things. Is that not how you recall the previous period of negotiation that you know you would outline things and they were receptive or moving yeah, they, were mm -hmm. they were receptive to many of the things that we're putting out like hotels mm -hmm. um, but like any negotiation you want to understand exactly the paper concept we never saw any memos we never we never saw any pieces of how they were going to do what they said they were going to do um and we never got to that point uh the framework was not just for industry city. This was for the mayor, the city agencies, uh, to protect a vulnerable community and the community itself to be able to rise up and defend itself when I'm gone. 
these these rezonings have massive impacts for a generation to come. And I wanted to ensure that all of those pieces were together before we even got to negotiation. Um, so if that if that and you and but then you and a and a lot of other Brooklyn elected officials told them to pull it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it wasn't it wasn't ready and they didn't have the support in the city council. I was talking to my colleagues. Um, they didn't have they didn't have a sense of 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 a path. The, the council members didn't see a path after all the local elected officials representing the people of Sunset Park said no. There was the political problem. And that was the ultimate fatal flaw that was represented in these letters uh, of support that I think council members saw. They communicated that to me and to the speaker and we asked them to pull. And I think that's, that's, that's the power of community that was um, manifested and the alignment with the political leadership of this neighborhood and beyond. You, you know, you of course represent the area right? And you have to defend what you believe are the best interests. Absolutely, right? Tell me how you think about being the sort of leader of your community and balancing that about what, you know, against what may be in the best interest citywide. You know, CBC is going, we've never done land use, right? It has been outside of realm, but we want to start thinking about these issues because we think that there can be a better way to do development that pursues a growth agenda, but, you know, brings in the community input, right? There's got to be a better way to do this. How do you think from where you sit, right, about balancing, you know, community interests versus the citywide interests? Uh, this is where comprehensive planning comes in. Uh, something that this administration, the mayoral administration has not understood, and even this council can do better in pushing the concept of comprehensive planning that allows communities to shape the future of the city through their own interests. And our neighborhoods will always have interest uh, in how we move the city forward. So I'm excited about talking about that. Um, there's a lot of city council candidates that are understanding that, and we're gonna work with them to really build out an alliance uh, from what just happened at Industry City to, to move that forward. I think in the immediate nature, Maria, the work that we have to do right now in Sunset Park is to pivot towards um, what does it mean that Sunset Park is driving development now in, in Sunset Park? And we were never against development. Communities are not against development. They're, they're against this top-down approach, developer-driven piecemeal uh, development and planning in the city, and they want, to, they want a seat at the table. And they have a seat at the table with someone like me who is representing them as a council member. And talking with labor, for example, you should talk to the building trades. They get it. They, they're, they're understanding that their alliance with Revney and the developers that have for a long time left a wake of, of just sour um, communities, communities that have been, um, I think, taken advantage of uh, and are now seeing that the power rests with the people. You're going to start seeing labor now join communities and say, how can we help you? How can we join you? Because they need development as well. And so the things that are coming out of those conversations are about the capital budget, utilizing the capital budget as a way to bring public investment and not wait for private investment from foreign, foreign banks to drive development in the city of New York. And we can do that. That's, that's something that's been done before in the country with New Deal, but with the Green New Deal, the city of New York can actually take that on and make that happen. But I wanna go back to community right now and allow them 
to shape this. We just have a few minutes left, but um, I'm curious if you heard from constituents who said, what are you crazy? We need jobs. Uh, yeah. You know, I, oh, I, understand, yeah. I understand there might be flaws with this and we are concerned about housing affordability and how, you know, when you make more, uh, you know, you, you offer more luxury retail and, and things like that, you know, the, the whole area can see increased prices, um, but we need jobs. Yeah. Did you hear from constituents saying that? Absolutely. This was, yeah. this is what made so much um, tension flare because people really saw uh, investment that was coming in by Industry City in this as of right uh, activation. And they saw a place that for a long time has been derelict and, and, they, and, they, and they communicated in that way. I think they wanted more of that. And you can hold that understanding while, while we understand the, the, the larger impacts. And those can exist in the same space. And I think what we're gonna have to do to community members that felt like this was a failure is to really understand, well, what are your needs? What are you afraid of? And this isn't just about industry city. This is about COVID economy and what, what it's doing to the economy right now. The fact that schools haven't opened and I doubt they're gonna open because we're not ready for that. And what that does to the economy uh, in, in supercharging it. And there are ways that immigrants in Sunset Park have shown us through worker cooperatives, for example, um, that shift the way that we build business. And I hope that those voices will rise up um, and show Sunset Park that, th that the, the route to success and economic activation was never going to be um, led by a developer, that now community can do that. Uh, and so I'm going to keep talking to them. Um, and a lot of them are in the community board. And so this is about creating dialogue and, and, and rebuilding trust with those, with those neighbors. Um, and they're going to have to be a part of that conversation as well. This is not just about the, a winning team taking lead. This is about all of Sunset Park. And that includes them too. So do you have an alternative plan, final question, that you're working on for the, the area? There are many alternative plans, better plans with real jobs that really took, take green, uh, green New Deal uh, sentiments and bring it into Sunset Park. Um, remember, Industry City is not the only game in town on the working waterfront. We can really step back and look at the whole thing. Uh, com a comprehensive planning uh, opportunity that we asked the mayor to fund, um, which actually they were kind of interested in, uh, is, is where we need to move forward. Uh, the faith in this administration is low. I, and, and, and I get that, but I think the city council, and I'm hoping that I can, I have charged my colleagues um, with this question, how are you gonna now step in and support Sunset Park? Because there are many plans and Uprose has uh, a really beautiful vision around the grid that really helps us understand how we activate this to bring in the jobs that are on their way. Um, and how do we really build a fertile, fertile ground to grow those, those, those jobs? And just quickly, you know, Industry Shea is going to continue to do what they can do as of right. Is there, is there, do you consider there being any room to continue conversations with them? Any oh, they're here. They're here. They're invested yeah. um, until they sell their property and, and move away. But as long as they're here, um, we're going to, they're, they're a neighbor. Uh, and everybody understood that too. They're, they're here to stay. Um, they're just not going to, they're not given the green light to supercharge their, their plan. And they're going to have to, I hope, change their tune and, um, and really, truly take the lead from the community. Okay. 
City Council Member Carlos Menchaca, thank you for the time. Uh, won't be won't be the end of any of these conversations, but uh, oh, that's but, the beginning. But thank you. Thank Appreciate you so much. You got it. Thank you.